0: Um, can you hear me okay over the rain? It is the tropics, so we should be used to this. But uh, if it gets too loud and you can't hear me, uh, just lift your hand and I'll keep raising my voice. I'm not sure who will win, God and the rain or us in here. But, um, as Pastor Vaughan said, this uh, series <clears throat> came about in discussions we had last year And very shortly, within the next uh, few weeks, we hope, a book will be released uh, called Seeing God as Father. It's published by a United States publisher um, and uh, within a week, Kirsten's book of children's stories will be released by the same publisher, we think. But um, that book has 12 chapters in it. We're not covering all of that by any means. But we do hope to pick up the themes and the threads so that if later on you want to find a copy of the book and read it, uh, some of the, the, the superstructure or the foundational structure rather will already be in place for you. Now this first session tonight is one in which we're trying to orientate ourselves to some of the issues and in doing that we're going to talk about earthly fatherhood and earthly motherhood. We're going to talk about some of the experiences we've had of that fatherhood and motherhood, but also we want to fix a starting point because we actually don't start to talk about God as father by by starting to talk about our experiences of being fathered, mothered, or our experiences of being a father or a mother. We're going to talk for a while tonight about the difference between metaphor and reality. So, I want you to bear with us tonight. You might think, I'm not sure what practical benefit some of this material might be to me, but in fact what we're doing tonight is absolutely essential, as also what we'll be doing next week when we talk about the father in relationship to the son and the spirit because we can't really talk about coming to know God as father if we just start on our understanding of fatherhood and work up from that so bear with me tonight if something seems a little bit strange or i'm asking you to think about ways or to think in ways that are new to you i hope it will make sense as we go through and I certainly hope it will make sense as we come to the end of the series. Uh, Now, the first thing to say in setting this starting point is this, we all have a father. You may have never met your father. There are many people in the world who do not know who their father is. But we all have a father and the father we have has made a profound impact upon our lives, for better or for worse. If we've had a father who's abandoned us, then that will have a profound impact on all manner of relationships. That early childhood psychology into adolescent development is very, very intensely focused on father, mother, child relationships. And so for better or for worse, every father is going to have a very strong impact on our experience growing up and also therefore on what it means for us to be a father. How many of you have said to yourself, those of you who are fathers or mothers, how many of you said to yourself at some point, I'm not going to repeat the same mistakes that my dad did and how many of you have looked in the mirror one day and you thought, oh my goodness, I'm just like my dad and how many of you have become horrified because you've turned into the very thing you swore to yourself would never become. So fatherhood and motherhood, for better or for worse, makes an incredible impact upon us Sometimes our fathers have been absent. Sometimes they've been overly present. Sometimes they have been weak-willed. Sometimes they have been too strong-willed. Sometimes they have been severe in their discipline. Sometimes they have had no discipline at all. Sometimes they've been domineering, not just towards us but towards our mothers or other members of our extended family. All of those things absent fathers, over present fathers, domineering fathers, even good fathers make an impact upon the way we come to think about fatherhood. So for example, when I've mentioned to people that I was doing a book on the fatherhood of God, a number of people said to me, things like this. Well I hope you're going to explain that he's not like the father I had. Or someone said to me, if God's like my father, I don't want anything to do with him. Or someone said to me, it would be actually better if I called God mother because I had a closer relationship with my mother than my father. Now this impact of fatherhood, the Goodness of it or the badness of it, and our response to that fatherhood that stays with us all the way through our lives. Uh, I I don't know here if any of you uh, you're all we don't have any of the peace college uh, students with us, but all of us here are adults. But if you're an adult child of an alcoholic father, there'll be certain characteristics that attach themselves to the way in which you relate to people, the way in which you relate to authority, the way in which you present yourself in public and the fears that lurk deep within your heart, there will be certain things that will be common amongst this whole group even though the father that we had in each instance is different or to put the thing in a different way using a different example. Uh, A few years ago, I was sitting with a man who was approaching 90. Uh, He had had um, probably a troublesome relationship with his father but in terms of his life and his ministry, very thoughtful, very articulate, very well read man, he thought probably that he had come to grips with all of those things uh, during the course of his adult life. It turns out that as he was coming towards the end of his own life and I was visiting him in hospital, he was having a series of very vivid dreams about his father and about his relationship with his father. And as we talked about some of the things which he was experiencing, it became very clear that these dreams were still the outworking of the troubled relationship that he'd had with his father when he was a boy growing up. Um, The things that we're speaking about affect us all and for that reason as we come to this topic, coming to know your father, I don't want us to stay just in the realms of biblical or theological discussion. I think at various points as we go through you'll find things being stirred in your own heart and as that happens, it's very good for you to acknowledge that and it's very good for that to come to the surface and it's very good not for us or me to deal with it but it's very good for the Holy Spirit to deal with it under the sound of his Gospel. This person you'll recognise perhaps. He is, of course, Sigmund Freud, And if any of you know anything about psychoanalytic theory which Sigmund Freud pioneered together with uh, his friend Carl Jung, Gustav Jung, uh, Freud saw nearly all of our issues to do with the triangle of relationship between father, mother and child. And he saw in each of those points of the triangle Issues being worked out from within our own psychological or psychiatric makeup. He talked about us having ids, egos, and super egos. You don't need to worry about that because I don't actually agree with much of what he said. But he said this: God is every man's father writ large. God is every man's father writ large. Now, I disagree with what Freud was saying because he said there is no such person as God, there is no such being as God. He regarded religion as a universal neurosis which needs to be cured, he saw it as a sign of human weakness. But what he was saying is still true in that what we learn from our earthly fathers and mothers, we project on to God and we do that in two ways. We take our earthly father or mother, but particularly our father I'm talking about, and without realising it we see God as a bigger and more powerful version of that. So, a friend of mine who for many years has taught on the theme of the fatherhood of God in many countries around the world will often ask a group of people or a person with whom he's working or another pastor, what do you think your father was like? And they would describe the father that they had. And then a little bit later in another part of the conversation he might say, now tell me what you think God is like. And very, very often there was a close correlation except those things that belonged to the earthly father were magnified and distorted. Or it can work the other way. In the sense that the earthly father has left such an imprint on us negatively that we project onto God everything we don't want our earthly father to be, we project that onto God and he becomes the father we wish we would have had. Now I disagree with Freud when he's saying that in this sense that he's using it as a reason to say well there is no God, he's just a figment of our imagination, we just project onto the heavens what we want. But in terms of actual experience, that's the way we often and habitually relate to God and think about God. But as the little picture indicates, we could ask this question. What about mum? Wouldn't it be better then if God, if the term father is so loaded and so uh, freighted with meaning which is often negative, wouldn't it be better then if we just had a female deity, a feminist view of God, a feminine God, Well, let me ask you, has there ever been a mother who is insecure, manipulative, uh, needy, demanding, bullying and abusive? Has anyone ever met mothers like that in the world? Has anyone met mother-in-laws like that in the world? Don't answer the question. Can you see that the same problems that plague our understanding of fatherhood also plague our understanding of motherhood. The same issues arise. But then there's also this. As a child of a mother and father, you are part of a triangle of relationships and then including in that extended siblings and that triangle of relationships is often fraught with enormous conflict and tension, isn't it? Like, do you have to teach a three-year-old throwing a tantrum, not getting its way with mum, to then go to dad to see if it will get its way from dad? Do you have to teach a three-year-old to do that? They are past masters at it. And what happens if he can't get his way from mum but does get his way from dad What does that do to the relationship between mum and dad? And what happens if that becomes an habituated thing where one is always the leader of the opposition saying no and one is the government leading up to election wanting to give out money and saying yes? Can you start to see that that dynamic relationship of father and mother and child or children becomes now an area of intense competition? So have you ever seen any siblings fight over attention of their mother or father? Have you ever seen any sibling rivalry over who gets the most affection? Have you ever seen kids fight about whether mum or dad divided the birthday cake exactly equally? Do all of those things ring bells or is my family different from yours? So what what we're facing here is that if we set the starting point from a horizontal view of mothers and fathers and our relationship to mothers and fathers and their relationship to us, we're always going to be in strife then when we try and talk about God as Father. We're going to bring into that picture so much stuff that doesn't belong to God as He truly is. So, as we come to know God as our Father, in one way you have to forget everything you've known about your own earthly father or mother because God is not like them. God is not like them. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next little while. So if the (coughs) earthly, horizontal relationships aren't our starting point, what is our starting point? (coughs) And the starting point is this, we are not self-defining creatures. We don't define who we are, where we've come from, what our identity is, what we're created for That is all given to us. Now, uh, one of my very best friends had that painted on the mirror in their bathroom uh, just so that when they looked in the mirror they'd have this reminder written up there, we are not self-defining creatures. And one of her relatives came along who didn't believe that statement and picked up a piece of lipstick and wrote underneath it, oh yes we are because the world thinks that it's a self-defining entity. We re-image ourselves. We define ourselves according to our own tastes and predilections. But biblically speaking, we are not self-defining creatures. We are defined from above. Now, I'm going to talk about this a bit more from a couple of different angles. If this seems a bit complicated, don't worry. It will all fall into place, I hope. What I'm saying is we are defined by revelation not by discovery. Revelation comes to us. Discovery is something that we try and work out. So if you're trying to discover who you are and you don't have a revelation to guide who you are, then that discovery is always going to be locked in to that horizontal limitation of mother, father, children and all the dynamics that go into that that we've just alluded to. So, let's talk about the difference for a minute between revelation and discovery. Now, what's an axiom? An axiom is a... It used to be an old... Australian rock and roll band a long, long time ago. But what is an axiom? An axiom is a self-evident truth. So an axiom in mathematics is zero does not equal one and can never equal one under any circumstances. It's an axiom of mathematics. So it's an axiom, it's a self-evident truth of Christian theology that God reveals himself. To put that thing another way, if God hadn't revealed himself we wouldn't have a clue who he is. We can't find him. We can't discover him. We have to receive a revelation from him to know who he is. Now, on a very simple earthly level this works, it's an imperfect picture but you can only know a person to the degree that that person is willing to reveal themselves to you. You can discover things about the person if you read on Wikipedia or look on some old high school yearbook or something but to actually be in relationship to that person and for that person to open up their heart to you, things come to you as that person reveals themselves to you which you could never come at simply by trying to nibble around the edges and discover it. Can you see? Now, in a much purer and cleaner sense, God reveals himself. And that's not the same as us discovering God. Revelation comes from above. It begins with God. Discovery is something that begins with us and it depends on the depth of our application and the level of intellect and will that we have to find something out. But there are various reasons that God has to reveal himself to us and various reasons why we cannot seek him and find him by discovering. Now, this is a little bit edgy, particularly for us who've come through our Western educational systems who believe in investigative learning that you can learn anything if you just put your mind to it. We don't like the fact that there are things that you can't know unless God shows you. We, we want to be able to learn everything there is. To be honest, we want to be as God. That was the first temptation that came to our parents, our first parents. So, revelation is not the same as discovery and this is why. Why? discovery of God, if we're going to try and discover God as He is, with our intellect and our searching and our will and our application and our commitment, it's not possible because He is God. And as Paul alludes to in Romans chapter 11 verse 33, Oh, the depths and the riches, the unsearchable wisdom. Psalm 97 says, clouds and thick darkness surround him. He lives in impenetrable and unapproachable light. God is God. He's not one of us that we can just understand like we might understand something else in the creation. He's not part of this creation. But then there's another problem, more serious problem and that is that because of the effects of sin on the human race we are like a line of people walking around with blindfolds and we don't know who God is, we don't know who we are because we don't know who God is, we don't know how to find God. We don't know, it says in Romans, very confronting, no one searches for God, not one. Professing to be wise, our foolish heart was darkened. We have lost the knowledge of God in our human sinfulness so that we have pictures of God, images of God, thoughts about God, opinions about God, but none of it is God as He is. And try as we might, we can't take that blindfold off. That's the whole purpose of the Gospel, of Revelation. As God said to the Apostle Paul when he commissioned him for his work, to open the eyes of the blind. It's no accident that images of deafness and blindness are used to describe us all the way through the Old and New Testament. We've become deaf to God's word. We've become blind to His glory. So by searching, we cannot find Him. We cannot find out who He is. One of, uh, where is it in Proverbs? I can't exactly remember the reference. His, no, it's in one of the Psalms. He says, His waves, His waves are like footprints on the waves. You no, know, you can't see where someone stepped on the waves. You can't follow his tracks. God is God and we're not. And so discovery of God as he is is not possible. So we Christian people live from above, not from below. I've just put a few references here and these are all, uh, this PowerPoint slides up on the website if you want to look at it, you can print it out, you can look up the references later. Who is like me? Who is like me? Says God. Look around. Look at this whole creation. Is there anything in this world that is like me? God says in Isaiah 44. The answer is no nothing, nothing that you see is like me I am completely different from anything you've ever seen or known experienced I'm completely different from anything you might have imagined Isaiah 46 verse 9 says I am God, there is no other I am God there is none like me And that means it's not possible for us to say God is like that. Those verses from Isaiah say things like to whom will you liken me or with what shall you compare me that I should be his equal? You can't look at anything in this world and say God is like that but you may be able to say that's a bit like God. So, you can't say, come back to the fatherhood, you can't say God is like your father. God help you if God is like your father even if you've had the best father in the world. God help you if he's like him. But you may be able to say, my father is a bit like God. Can you see the difference? Can you see the difference? Take another example which Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 5. He doesn't say Christ's relationship with the church is like marriage. He says marriage is like God's relationship with the church. Can you see the difference when you're thinking from above? God's first, God is wholly other, God is wholly different, He creates things and out of what He creates we they then be able to say, ah, here is a spark of the image of God but you can't discover God from that and go back that way. You have to have the revelation from above. Does that come through to you? Now, as I said, I fired a bit of a warning shot at the beginning. This first session in particular is, lay, is laying out some stuff. You might think, what has this got to do with me wanting to know God as my Father? It's absolutely crucial So stick with it. don't give up, even if it's hot and sticky. What we come to is this: if all that what I've said is true, God is not a metaphorical father. See the little picture? me sitting in my first metaphor. That little cart is a metaphor for a big thing, you see. But the little cart represents something bigger and greater than itself. God is not like a father. He's not a metaphorical father. Otherwise, you would just be metaphorically his child. Otherwise the whole idea of you being adopted and being a child of God would just be a sort of image or a figment of imagination or a poetic expression but it wouldn't be real. So God is not a metaphorical father. He is Father. He really is Father. He's been Father eternally. He didn't become Father when Jesus was born of Mary, because ever before that he was the Father of the eternal Son of God. He's created out of his own fatherhood. He's always been truly and fully and completely Father. And so the Son, the eternal Son is the Son of the Father and the eternal Spirit is the Spirit of the Father. And so that means We may be like him, but he's not like us. He's made us in his image. Now let's think about that just for a minute. The idea of a good original and a good copy. God made us in his image as male and female. Do you remember that passage from Genesis chapter 1? Male and female he made them and he called them man. So, humanity is made in the image of God. Now some of you have heard me use this illustration before. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Apart from your own handsome face looking back at you. What do you see when you look in a mirror? You see an image of yourself, don't you? In fact, Our mirrors today are so good that we can actually say, I see myself when I look in the mirror. But in fact, it's an image of yourself. That image doesn't have an independent existence, it can't step out of the mirror and look at itself because it's an image. Yes? So we are made in the image of God. We are made to reflect God, to be like God but we can't step out of the mirror and say well we'll stand on the other side and we'll damn well be God. Well we tried that and that's where all our problems come from because the serpent said you will be as God. You will be in control. You will be a self-defining creature now. But the image corresponds to something beyond itself. Does that make sense? The image is not a thing that exists for itself, by itself. It cannot exist for itself, by itself. It has to correspond to the thing which is greater than it. And we've been made in the image of God So we've been made to correspond, to correlate to God at every point. And he's made us both male and female. Now it tells us something. It tells us that in God there are things that are best expressed by us being male and there are other things that are best expressed by us being female. So, God does things which in our terms belong to femaleness like he brings things to birth through his spirit. He's in labour pains by his spirit That's normally not a male disease, is it, labour pains? God made us male and female so that male and female together in the fullness of all our relationships we'd be able to reflect the richness and diversity and beauty and dynamism and love and mutuality that there is in God. Is that okay? So that means when you're thinking about God as father, that's why I said before, don't think about him like your dad because he's not a male. God is not an old fellow with a big long beard. He's not male. Nor is he female. He is God. And he's made us in his image and so his fatherhood His fatherhood is best understood when we see how the diversity of what he's created reflects the fullness of who he is. Both maleness and femaleness reflect his fatherhood. Now we're covering a lot of ground and we're nearly at the end and we'll allow a bit of time for some stillness and reflection but what we've got there is good original and good copy. What we have now is this. We've still got a good original, but we've got a corrupted copy. So that as we listen to the voice of the serpent as a whole humanity, that entrance of sin into our relationships has distorted everything. It's distorted and twisted maleness and femaleness. It's distorted and twisted the relationship that we have between mother and father and child so that that triangular relationship now becomes a point where there's manipulation and tension and guilt and fear and anxiety and neediness, where there's a possessiveness and a control and a desire to use power wrongly and an abusiveness, that whole triangle has become distorted and twisted. So sin has damaged the image It's distorted fatherhood, it's distorted motherhood, it's distorted our relationship to these father and mother. I'll let you in on a secret. You know what? You were not a perfect child. Why do we always persist on blaming things on our poor old mum and dad when we were just such ratbags? We were so willful and so disobedient, and so manipulated, and so insistent on getting our own way, and so selfish. And then we blame them for it, the poor things. They were probably just trying to do the best because they had mums and dads who were screwed up as well. And they were screwed up in relationship to their mums and dads. But that whole dynamic of mother, father, child and the pure, clear, crystalline reflection of the image, that's all been twisted. So that's why you can't come to know the Father by looking at your own Dad and why you can't say God is like my Father and why you would never want to say God is like your Father because the very best Of our fathers is still a part of this sinful, broken, fallen humanity. Would that be true? And so, what we're talking about as we come into this series is that fatherhood is redeemed from above. We come to know God the Father from above not from below. We don't discover him. We don't look at what's happened in our childhood and try and work that out backwards onto him. Nor do we try and see what's happened in our upbringing and compensate for it by trying to put it onto him. The revelation of God as Father as he is is the only thing that can change the way we think about fatherhood. See, I've met people, like I alluded to before, who said, my father was such an abusive, violent, alcoholic beast. I would prefer to call God mother. Well, that's not actually going to get us very far. because it's me- it means that we simply enshrine another set of behaviours that are equally twisted on the opposite side. Nor can we say, well, I'll just talk about him as parent, our parent who art in heaven, because God has not revealed himself to be parent, he's revealed himself to be father, but not father in the way that we understand the word Father. It's Father in the way He really is. It's Father in the way He's been Father from all eternity. It's Father in the way He's the Father of the Son. It's Father in the way in which the Spirit comes to show us the fullness of the Father. It's Father who's not like any father you've ever met. It's Father whom at the very, very best your earthly father may bear some semblance of the image of but you can't work from him back upwards. Now, what we've done tonight then is really try and draw a line through anything that's trying to arise from us as a process of discovery about God. We've also tried to draw a line through that experience of our earthly fathers and mothers which says, well, if God's like a father, I don't want anything to do with Him, and I can understand that. I've lived too long, and I've seen too many people, and I've had our own, my own father myself, you know. And I, I just know you don't want God to be like your father. But what we're talking about is not analogy. We're not talking about an image, or a word picture, or a metaphor. We're actually Talking about the way God is. And it's that which transforms, transforms, (laughs) what a word, transforms, transforms the way we think about earthly fathers. Now, let me tell you a true story of a young man who was uh, a very angry and resentful young fellow because his own dad was an alcoholic who when he had too much to drink would lay into him and the other kids with a belt and very often he would use the buckle side out. As that young fellow grew up he came to know something of God and he realised in a great cleansing act of forgiveness that God was not like his father. And that cleansing act of forgiveness cleansed the way he thought about his own father. And when his father was very ill, for the first time in his life, he could genuinely sit with his father and say, I love you. And when that cleansing forgiveness came to him, do you know what he did? He went to his father and he said, please forgive me for being such a problem child. That relationship was transformed and when the man's father died he and his son were as close as they could ever have been I think. But what brings the transformation is not us trying to sort out all of the problems with the fatherhood. It's us having a revelation of the father which then puts that deficient fatherhood and our deficient sonship into perspective and writes it all and brings something in the soul of a person which is able to look at even the most dreadful parenting of fathers and mothers and say, if God has forgiven me, how can I not? forgive you. Now, one of my friends, a pastor from another church some years ago, said to me, I've come to see that our childhood is always with us. And I didn't quite know what he meant But as I've been thinking more about this and completing the book and doing other things, I say, yes, you're right. And it may be here tonight that talking about these issues of fatherhood and motherhood have stirred up things with you. Maybe you've started to feel certain things stir in your heart which you thought were buried that Perhaps the resentment that you had to your parents is now closer to the surface than you realised it was. Or perhaps the love you had for your parents. And when it talks about the, in the commandment about honouring your father and mother, it's not as long as they live. It's as long as you live. And it may be that your mum and dad are dead and gone a long time ago (laughs) but it may be just tonight that perhaps for the first time the lid's starting to be lifted on that relationship and something's coming to you which thinks there might be a change here. There might be a healing here even if they're dead and gone. There might be something here which changes the way I think about God and the way I think about them and the way I think about myself and the way I think about my children. You see how this idea of fatherhood actually sits in the very centre of all of our relationships. But I think we've covered enough for tonight. We're just going to pray quietly and then I'll hand back to Vaughan. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, that you've not left us as a whole humanity trying to work out who you are or what you're like, that you've not left us trying to somehow repair all of the damage. We pray for our mothers and fathers even if they have been uh, taken from us many years ago. We pray, Father, you would help us in these days to love them, to honour even their memory in our hearts, to forgive where we need to forgive, to receive forgiveness where we need that We pray, Father, that this short series we have over these weeks would not simply give us more information about what the Bible says about God as our Father but would somehow under your spirit be so used to change and revive and release and free, to bless, to heal. Father, we thank you we pray that just in the stillness tonight you would enable us to wait on your spirit even as we're travelling home. And over these weeks bring to mind things that we just need to know and bring to mind, Father, where we need uh, just to be taught within our own souls. So we commend ourselves to you, Father. We're all learners here. We're all in your classroom. Uh, So do with us as you will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.